hate speech laws are being passed. How do we deal with the subject? How do we take a stand for these things? And so we're going to look at some of this tonight, and we're going to be dealing with the issue of uh, gender uh, identity, uh, and we're then going to move into from that, uh, because again, this gender identity stems from this idea of idolatry, gender identity being I am my own God, I can become what I want to be, there is no absolute authority, and then from that will stem uh, something that may be a lot more applicable to us, uh, even in our church, and that is then, do we contribute to the problem of gender identity without knowing it in the area of uh, our conduct as far as our appearances, the way we dress, the way that we act, the way that we speak. And so we'll, we'll delve into that, and it'll, it'll all kind of tie together. And I don't know how far we'll get tonight, but however far we'll get um, at 8 o'clock, we'll, if we're not... Uh, at a good place. We'll just end there and pick up next Wednesday night. But let's start in, in Ecclesiastes chapter number 8, if you will, for a moment, and verse number 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 11. Solomon writes here, "...because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. I want to to address this issue just kind of as a foundational principle that I believe contributes to us wrongly emphasizing and putting the emphasis that we should put on these issues. Uh, It's an issue that all of us struggle with. And that is this, and Solomon is, is teaching here, that when an evil work is done, if the consequences of that evil work are not immediately seen. If we don't see the, the, the ramifications, the, the consequences, if you will, of that evil act, we are prone then to diminish how severely evil or wicked that act is in our minds. We don't have an immediate gratification of judgment being ex- executed on that. And we're living in a day where not everything that the world does is immediately judged by God. But we know that it will be judged by God. And the danger you and I have to fight, and the, and the issue we have to be careful about, is that we don't become lax in the sinfulness of that evil simply because God's exceeding wrath and judgment towards that evil has not yet been fully brought to bear upon people. Uh, and so we, we need to understand that there... Just because judgment has been, has been delayed, judgment sometimes in, in the eyes of what we look at, uh, David, David was one who puzzled over this. If you'll remember, he said, I, I don't understand why the ungodly uh, prosper. In fact, David said, it's so confusing to me that the wicked and the ungodly people seem to prosper, and here I am trying to do righteously and I am suffering. He said that my feet had well nigh slipped. In other words, he was saying, I just about became over, over, overwhelmed with this thought. Uh, hold your place here for a minute and turn with me, if you will, to Second uh, Peter chapter 3. And I know I've used this passage quite extensively, but it also fits this particular principle for us to see. Second Peter chapter number 3. And uh, let's begin in verse number 1. 
this second epistle, Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 1. <clears throat> this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and I want you to notice why he's writing. He's telling you why he's writing this. I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of what? Remembrance. It's very important because of what he's getting ready to say here. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying. Now here's what the scoffers are saying. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, <coughs> whereby the world that was being over then was well, being overflowed by water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, what was Peter's purpose in writing this one? To stir them up by way of what? Remembrance. Why? Because there's the danger that in the last days, people will, who are going to be known as scoffers will say, you guys have been saying this from the beginning of time. Where is it? God's punishment hasn't come. God's judgment hasn't come. And he tells us why in verse 7. They're kept in store, preserved unto fire against the day of judgment. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, <clears throat> that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the key to this is verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We like to quote that as a verse of promise. We like to quote that when we say, uh, boy, I, I know God's going to bless my life because God's promised He'd bless my life and He's not slack concerning His promise. Well, the truth is, God is not slack concerning any of His promises, whether they're promises of blessing, but the promise that is being referred to specifically here is His promise of coming and bringing judgment upon the sin of man. He's not slack concerning it. It's going to happen. He goes on to say in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away, and with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person you ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness. And Peter says, there's a danger. The danger is, you're going to forget. You're not going to see the immediate Judgment of God on some of this sin and the sin that is there, you're going to be tempted, you're going to be prone, you're going to be apt to begin to think of it as not that bad. And we're living in a day where the issue of gender, even in Christians, is considered not that bad. Now, if you will, go to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. Romans chapter 1. I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this subject because I have taught this at length. In fact, I did a series, a two, I think two or three week series on this uh, about three years, about four years ago, right before COVID. <clears throat> and uh, perhaps we'll do another one on it here near in the near future just to 
reiterate it, and again, by way of remembrance. But Romans chapter number 1, and I want us to look at, uh, we, we, we looked at part of this last week, but verse, starting in verse number 18, Romans chapter 1, verse number 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We spent some time talking about that Sunday. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, what the world would have you to believe is that because they think that everything that is in existence today happened by some cosmic accident, and we are all an accident of some big bang thing that happened billions of years ago, and that the, the nature and, and, and all that is in existence of creation, all of it is changing and evolving then they believe that if there come more than just the genders of male and female, that that's all part of evolving. That there are new genders being introduced. And notice what is said here in verse number 21. It says, because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. But what's the next word here? Became. They became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And don't they do that? In fact, they look at people that believe in a young earth and creation by the biblical account as fools, don't they? Uh, They come out and say, well, science doesn't lie. And science trumps the Scriptures. And professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now, this is where we went last week, and we dealt with some of these issues. The result of this is found as we get to verse number uh, 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Through their own lust. Was it God's desire that they would be this minded? No. But because they willingly, continuously pursued to turn the truth of God into a lie, God finally says, if that's what you want, okay, here it is. And so he gives them up. Notice what he says here. To uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, here's that phrase again, God gave them up. And the things he's getting ready to describe here, he refers to here as vile affections. These are not affections that are first pure and holy and righteous and just, but these are vile affections. These are things that are contrary to the morality of God, the holiness of God. For even the woman did change the natural use. 
If you have a pen, you ought to underline that word, natural use. Anything beyond a man and a woman married as a husband and wife is unnatural. Two men married, unnatural. Two women married, unnatural. It is not part of nature. It does not happen naturally. It is a choice. It is something that they have become, but certainly nothing that they were created to be. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections, for even the women did change the natural use into that which is, what's the next phrase here? Against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error. In other words, God's saying they're receiving the consequences for their decisions. And then He goes on to say, which was meat. In other words, that was suitable for them. That was, that was proper. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over, here it is again, that phrase, to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being, what's the next word here? Filled. We taught on being filled last Sunday, things we ought to be filled with. These people are filled with something other than that. These people are filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I've watched over the last several years as Christian folks have gone to some of these celebrations and they have been there with signs and tracts and they have tried to engage in dialogue with people from this movement, this LBGTQ movement. I'm amazed. Now, I know that there are some, there's some irrational people out there that, that are touched in the head. They don't know what they're doing. They get out there and they make fools of themselves. But the majority of the people that do this, they go out there genuinely trying to reach these people. And they go with a, a calm demeanor. They go with some knowledge. They go with some literature. And I have watched video clips as these people have been assaulted, the anger, the, 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 the absolute fury of the other side coming against them. And, and as we read here in verse number 30, the things that characterize this group of people, uh, they're, they're full of envy, they're, uh, they uh, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, without understanding, covenant breakers. I mean, these, these people are just, they're, they're out of their minds crazy at anger towards anything that would cause them to think there's a moral standard of God. And that anything in defiance of that moral standard will one day stand in judgment of God. Why is gender a big deal? 
Because God made it a big deal. Throughout Scripture, God made it a big deal. Let's go to Genesis chapter number 1 for a moment. Genesis chapter number 1. And verse number 20, I think 27 is where we'll start. Let's go to verse number 26. Genesis 1, verse number 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His own image. Notice this in verse 27, how it's worded. In the image of God created He Him. There's a semicolon, meaning there's a continuation of the thought. Male and female created He them. God created two genders. And He did so so that they could be made in His image. Only as a man lives 100% as a man is he able to reflect the image of God that he was created to reflect. Only as a woman reflects and becomes 100% of what a woman should be can she fully reflect the image of God that he created her to reflect. They were to be made in God's image. When God created Adam, before He created Eve, there was one rule or one responsibility that God gave to Adam. Anybody remember what God gave to Adam as His responsibility? He, he created him and He put him in the garden to what? Anybody remember? To dress it and keep it. Alright? So a lot of people say, well... I'll tell you what, that Adam, I sure wish he hadn't sinned. I, I, I hate the fact that I have to work uh, really hard. Can I tell you this? Work is not the curse of sin. Man was created to work. It is when we work that we are most satisfied because that's what we were created to do. We were created to do the work that God had given us to do. And only as we fulfill that responsibility of a man do we have full satisfaction. You know what? You want to know the most miserable man in the world? Somebody that has to take a month long vacation and stay at home. <laughs> they, they, their wives are praying, Lord, send them back to work. They get crabby, they get grumpy, they get, they get, when you retire, you, you come up with something to do. And if you don't, your wife's going to find something for you to do just to get you out there. Because you get grumpy when you don't work. You were designed to work. You say, well, what was the curse of sin then? Well, now we work by the sweat of our brow. Now the work isn't quite as easy as it used to be. Now there's some thorns and thistles that we have to deal with. And the ground doesn't give up its fruit as easily as it did in the Garden of Eden. And so, yeah, work became harder because of sin. But for a man to say that it was never God's intention for us to work, uh, he doesn't know the Scriptures well enough. God created man to work. And a man is supposed to be a stronger being. And, and, and I'm not trying to diminish the, the physical issues of women, but God created men to be stronger because that's what they were supposed to do was the work that God gave them to do. 
when, 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 when God looked down, He sees Adam in the midst of the garden. Remember what His thought was? He said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make, and I, I, I'm going to use the term, this is what the Bible says, I will make and help meet for him. Two words, not one. I know that we often use the word, well, this is my help meet. Okay? I don't have a problem with that. I understand we've coined that word. But in coining that word, I think we've missed what the purpose of the woman was. The purpose of the woman was to be a help to Adam that was meet or suitable, that completed him, that was able to lift him up and undergird him as he did the work that God gave him to do. Now, she can do that in a number of ways. You say, well, Pastor, you're going to be old-fashioned and male chauvinist here. Well, I think there's even Bible for this. But she can keep the home while he's out doing the work. So that when he gets home, the home is, is ready for him. Fixing meals for him. I'm going to say this very carefully. Bearing children is something only women can do. I'm going to go on record for that, by the way. It's all over the news today. People that will not say that. Bearing children is the only is only being able to be done by women. You say, Pastor, why is that helpful? Because you get a lot of kids to go out there and help plow the fields. That helps the man do the work. But when Eve came along, God gave more responsibility to Adam. Because he brings Eve to Adam. And he says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and cleave unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. And in Ephesians chapter number 5, in fact, let's just turn over there for a moment. Ephesians chapter number 5, he explains the responsibility of a man to his wife. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 5, if you will, down in verse number 20. Um, let's go to verse number 20. We'll start in verse <coughs> 23. <coughs> Excuse me. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now, we are not in any way diminishing the importance of a woman. Uh, women are... Special, they have their role, and only as they fulfill that role are they as special as God intends for them to be. But God also has a role for men. And the biblical responsibility God gives to men, outside of doing the work that He's given them to do, which is their first priority, is now that they are also to be the head of the wife, <coughs> even as Christ is the head of the church. And He is the, what's the next word here? Savior of the body. I am to be the protector of my family. My wife, if God gave me the wife, I'm to, first of all, be her head. I'm to deal with leadership in the home. Secondly, I am to now protect her. That is my responsibility. God has given me more strength physically than she has. And I am to be the one to protect her, to shelter her. Her. There was a day that we used to use a word that we don't use very often anymore, and the word was chivalry. The idea that uh, men sometimes would uh, come along and they would take their coat off and lay it in a mud puddle so that the lady walking past would not have to walk through the water. It was called chivalry. That nowadays we do things such as opening a door. 
uh, in the back in the 60s and 70s, 80s, when the women's lib and, and women's rights things were going on, it became a big thing for women to stand at a door. If a man opened it for them, they refused to go in the door because they did not want to be subjected to the fact that man was being chivalrous to them. And can I tell you this? In doing these things and seeking for equality, women debased themselves and became less of what God's image for them was. Because God gave it to the man to be that which is the Savior of the body. To be the one that is the, the knight in shining armor. That's where many of these stories years ago came from. The knight that would save the princess and kill the dragon. Why? Because that's how God designed men. You ever notice men like manly things? I mean, we like, we like manly things. We like guns and and, you know, go to, my son and I, we like to go to these air shows. And we put these, these earplugs in because when these fighter jets come over, we just eat it up, man. I mean, the, the harder it sounds and it rumbles in your chest, you're like, go get them, you know. A woman would rather go to the, the tea house and have tea and crumpets. Because God puts something in men. And men need to learn to be men again. We've, we've contributed. We've not intentionally done so, but we have. So God adds to Adam's responsibility. He tells him, he gives him responsibility now that he is to be the head of his wife. He is to be the protector of his wife. Now let's see what else it says here in, in verse number uh, 24. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So verse 25. Husbands. What's the next word here? Love. Your wives. Now that would be a good enough statement in and of itself, but notice he qualifies it. Even as Christ also loved the church and what? Gave himself for it. I'm to protect my wife. I'm to love my wife. And I am to give myself to my wife. Meaning if there is a need and there is only enough for one of us that I give it to her rather than taking it for myself. For an hour and a half on April 15, 1912, a cry went across the deck of the Titanic, women and children first. Men would kiss their wives, hug their children, put them on the lifeboat, and turn and walk back to the deck. Thirteen men for every woman died that night. In 1994, September 28th, another ship sank, the Estonia. This is in the news and a lot of people died. Over 800 people died in the sinking of this. The cry on the deck that day was every man for themselves. Women that were laying on the deck with broken legs pleading for men to help them would ask for a life vest or for a man to help them and they would run past them saying every man for themselves and they would plunge into the ocean. There were only 12 people over 55 years of age that survived that sinking and no children under the age of 12 survived. 852 lives were lost out of 989, and the vast majority of them 
were mostly, and this was, quote, young males with strong constitutions. Folks, something happened in our society. Men quit being men. The problem with the genders did not start in our lifetime with the homosexual movement. The problem with the genders started over a hundred years ago. When men, looking at the responsibility that God had given them to be as a man, began to say, I don't want all of that responsibility. It's too much for me. So Adam and Eve now are in the Garden of Eden. And the only responsibility that Eve has right now is to do what? She is to be a help meet for him. That's her only responsibility. Adam, got to help him. That's her only responsibility. Adam, on the other hand, now he's got to not only do the work that God gave him to do, but now he's got to be the head of his wife. He's got to protect her. He's got to love her. He's got to provide for her. And if there's not enough food that night, he does without while she eats. And then God brings along children. Adam, who started off with only one responsibility, now takes on some more. God gives him children. Verse number 4 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. I want you to look over there with me, if you will. Fathers now take on more responsibility. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but here's, the, here's their other responsibility. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So it's not enough that men have to do the work that God's given them to do. Now he's got to be the head of his wife. Now he's got to love his wife. Now he's got to protect his wife. He's got to provide for his wife. And then children come along. And now he's got to rear his children. And he's responsible for rearing his children. In Deuteronomy chapter number 6 in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter number 6, I'm just going to read it to you in verse number 7. And this is speaking to men. It says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. I'm sorry, let me back up to verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land which floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day. So all of this that he just told them. He says, these words I command this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of the house and on the gates. And it shall be that when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy father, uh, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities that thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. God was telling the fathers, listen, you're to teach your children. And not only are you to teach your children, but he says in verse number 6, these words that I shall command thee this day shall be in thine heart. You don't teach your children to do as I say. You teach your children to do as you do. 
The old adage, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. People catch more from what you are than they ever do from what you say. It says that you're to be, you're to have them in your heart. And then you're to teach them. And you're to teach them diligently to your children. And I like what, what is written here when Moses is writing these things. He says, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand. I mean, every time you look, you, you, you remember years ago, uh, if, if they tell you if you would forget something, you'd put a string on your finger to remind you. You'd, you'd put that there as a reminder. You know where that came from? It came from this passage. Because in the Old Testament, they would put things on their hands so that they would, when they saw them, they would be reminded of them. And then he says this, uh, and, and uh, he says that thou shalt teach them diligently. Talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. Talk of them when thou walkest by the way. Talk about them when you're lying down. Talk about them when you're rising up. Bind them for a sign upon thy hands. They shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of the house and upon the gates. Everywhere you go, you ought to be known for these things. Your kids ought to see it. I was talking to my mother the other day. And I, I'm, I try, I, I hate to use this as an illustration because it's going to sound prideful, and I do not intend for it to be a prideful thing. But my mom and dad had four kids by birth. All four, all four, grew up in, past, in the pastor's home. And all four to this day are serving in churches faithfully, in solid churches, good churches. Now, I've often talked with them about this. I've often talked to my mom about this because there's so many times people look at it and they say, especially when it's a, a pastor's kid or a missionary's kid, to see how often they, they don't turn out the way they should. And I've talked about this at length. My mom made the comment to me last week we were talking, and, and she brought this up. And I said, Mom, I agree 100%. I, I've felt this for a long time. I've talked to my brothers and sisters about this. They agree with this. I believe one of the greatest contributors, and I understand every one of us make our own choice, and that any moment one of my brothers or sisters or myself could turn from God and fall away. But I will say this, that not one time do I ever remember my dad being something different at home than he ever taught us about from Scripture. If he was, I don't remember it. I'm not saying he was perfect. I'm not saying he didn't make mistakes. But I never saw a character of my dad, the heart of my dad, being something other than what he taught and believed from Scripture. And there's an importance, I think, that's placed here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that men be real, that they are consistent with what they are. That they teach their children, that they stand in a society, and that they quit them like men, they be strong. That they're steadfast and every ounce of every fiber of their being, they're trying to retain that idea of being a biblical and a scriptural and a biblical man. What God intended for them to be when He created them in their image. The reason that we've gotten into the place that we are is because men have said, I don't want all the responsibility. It's too hard. So we have, and I've used this illustration before, if I were to take, and I'm not going to have you do it tonight, but just picture tonight, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to use Brother Mark and Miss Sandy, I guess we'll use them tonight, just as a, 
If I were to stand Brother Mark over here next to the wall and say, okay, Brother Mark's going to picture being uh, a man's man, 100% man. I mean, he's, he's, he's doing everything God's given him to do is his role as a man. And we were to put Miss Sandy over here on this side of the wall and say that she is 100% woman, exactly what God intended for a woman to be. She's fulfilling all the Scripture of what she's to do. And the idea being that every time they try to move away from what God intended them to be, they're taking a, a direction towards coming together to where if they ever succeed at getting to this place of 0% man or 0% woman, that there is no distinction between men and women. Do, do we see that? By the way, you, you can't go below 0%. A woman can never become a man. And a man can never become a woman. The only thing a man can do is shirk from his manliness. The only thing a woman can do is shirk from her womanliness. But as we step from those responsibilities, we contribute to the blurring of the genders. And so men do so by shirking the responsibility that God has given them. Saying, I don't want all of this responsibility. So maybe I don't love my wife the way that I should. Maybe I don't care for her the way that I should. Maybe I don't give myself for her the way that I should. Women, on the other hand, have been fed a line that men have all this great freedom and leadership and they're not stuck at home all day and they get to go out and do fun stuff and women have to stay at home and do the housekeeping and the laundry and the cooking and the cleaning and not realizing that her being a help to him is what God designed her to do. And they've been fed a line. And the line is, don't you want to be like the man? I mean, look at him over there. Don't you want more of this? And women are different. They don't shirk from the responsibility that they've been given. They look at it and say, I want the responsibility that the man has. And so they cry, equality, equality. God makes a very clear distinction between the roles of gender. Now, it is 8.02, and I promised you, if we weren't close enough, I'm going to pause there. And this is a good place to pause because while we have dealt with tonight some of the biblical responsibilities of the man, I don't want to launch into the biblical responsibilities of the woman yet until next week because that's longer than we have for tonight. I do want to say this. Facebook, if you go and sign up for a new account now, has, I think at last count, 72 different genders that you can select from. Our U.S. House of Representatives has passed a resolution <coughs> that they are not to use personal pronouns because they are offensive. One of the fellows that was running out in Texas at the last election, Beto O'Rourke, called for there to be legislation passed that churches who are against LBGTQ would lose their tax-exempt status, penalizing churches for taking a biblical stand. And folks, I'm going to tell you this. Our, our, our truth of Scripture and our liberty to follow Scripture as our consciences dictate is quickly being eroded. 
And somewhere along the line, men need to stand up and be men again. And women need to stand up and say, it is not a debasing thing for me to be what God intended for me to be and to reflect His image in my life. In fact, the highest honor I have in life is to be exactly what God created me to be and who God created me to be. And anything less than that is to not reflect the image of God as He intended you to do. Because He only made two genders. And each one are to be in His image. Next week we'll deal with um, some things about the women and what their responsibilities are. So far, before children came along, they are only to be a help to their husband. We're going to look a little further into that next week and then what additional responsibilities God gives to women as well now that there are children brought on the scene. And so we'll take a look at that. Um, We'll finish up the gender issue early next Wednesday night and move on into uh, other issues that contribute to this idea of gender, uh, namely issues of um, uh, appearance, propriety, uh, actions, moderation, different things that will affect and, and blend itself to that and will uh, take some time to deal with it scripturally for, for a couple of reasons, folks. First of all, so that we are well-grounded. I, I don't, I'm not under any doubt that this group here <coughs> is on that same page with us. What I do think is that if we're not careful, there will be things that we do that we contribute to it that we're not aware of, that we don't think about, that actually contributes to the blurring of genders. Not that we're out trying to do it. We just don't realize that the the actions, the things that we're doing, are helping to contribute to this idea of blurring genders in the world that we live in today, and that there needs to be a God-given biblical distinction and uh, that we get back to it. All right, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed. Father, I pray that you'll bless the time that we've spent around your word. Lord, a very important subject in the day that we live. Lord, it's not hate speech. We don't hate people. 